You're listening to The Homeschool Dropout. I'm your host, Mike Roberts. Let's talk about bridging the gap between homeschool and the professional world. Welcome back, listeners. Mike Roberts here with The Homeschool Dropout. This week, we have Elijah Doyle, who is actually the younger brother of a former guest, Bree Petty. I interviewed Bree earlier this year. It is probably episode... I really need to look at this up. I'll link it in the show notes page after the episode. We talked about letting go, taking the dive with homeschooling. I really, really liked Bree's perspective on things. So go ahead and check that out when you get a chance. But today we have Elijah, her younger brother. So really glad to have you on the show, Elijah. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And hey, thank you for everything you're doing for the homeschool community, you know, <laughs> showing the rest of the world that we're not nearly as weird as they think we are. No, we are I mean, weird. We are weird. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't want to give that up completely. No. But just no. not as weird. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the way I've always framed it is weirdness with awareness. I know I'm weird and I know exactly how I fit into that weirdness. And so I, I think it's nice. I've definitely in my older years leaned into kind of my quirks, my idiosyncrasies, they make me different and it's a little weird. Yeah, you have to do that if you're going to be your own individual person. Sometimes your quirks end up being your strengths, you know, as you go on in, in your career and in your life. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but I just finished John Taylor Gatto's Dumbing Us Down. And he just really emphasizes the value of curiosity and individuality over conformity. And how I, I think really in homeschooling, your quirks don't get to be conformed. They get to develop in their own right. For better, for worse. Absolutely, yeah. It's almost like the world kind of shuns your oddities and your eccentricities, but then the most successful people and the people that we look up <laughs> to later in life, they're, that's them. It's only once you outlive those judgments that people then eventually respect you and you become one of the greats, hopefully. Or maybe you just live your life and you're happy and you have a farm and you have chickens or something. Which is great in its own right as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think there's something to be said for owning your uniqueness and really leaning into it. I think it's really, it's been a challenge for me growing up. And I think that's partly what motivated me to start the show is I really started leaning into it. And I realized that there were a lot of us out there and our stories just didn't have a platform yet. There was no one really highlighting you as a homeschooler, myself as a homeschooler. There's tons of us and we're actually doing fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're actually, that should be the motto, right? It's like, listen, yeah. we're, we're fine. Okay. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I almost named the show that I was like, we're actually doing fine. One of the thing is, I think nowadays there's, there's more of a hunger for it and there's more of an interest for it as the public school continues to decline. And so people are hungry for it. And so it's, there's no better time for you to have this podcast. I mean, yeah, people need it. Well, I totally agree. So let's get into it. We were just talking, you were pretty much homeschooled all throughout your adolescence, but go ahead and give the listeners your background. I know there are some pivotal life moments that came up while you're being homeschooled. Fill us in so we have some context to work with. Yeah. So we were homeschooled my entire family up from my oldest sister down to my younger brother. And the only thing that was different about us younger siblings is that around the 2008 housing market crash, my dad was a home builder. And so we were experiencing some financial trouble and we did a huge shift in, well, my dad did a huge shift in his career choice and we started a health food company. And so what happened was because we were already so family oriented and everything was, you know, we were all just part of this community where we all worked together. We just naturally began working more and more with the family and doing less and less of the traditional homeschooling. 
And it ended up being the better choice for us. I was like 17 years old and I was managing a team for our food processing company. And my my friends were still learning what the powerhouse of the cell was. And I was like, listen, I don't care. You know, so like- What I, a burn. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and so I had the opportunity to learn all these real world skills. And I think that what's so ironic is that people look at homeschooling as if it's a very sheltered path. And the thing is, is it's, it's actually not. As a homeschooler, you realize like, we're out here living in the real world while everyone else is locked in these four walls. And so that was my experience. And I think that's a lot of homeschoolers experience. Yeah. The thought I had as you were sharing that was, I was thinking about public school and I went to part of my education in high school was the public school. And I- Oh, shame on you. I'm I know, I know. I right defected. Now, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I genuinely enjoyed it. I went for electives and I, I knew- for me, I wanted to go to college, so it made sense to do that. But yeah. I was thinking like, okay, well, what does the public school system really prepare you for? All I could think of was it prepares you to work. It prepares you for a job. I don't it know does. if it prepares you for wholeness and having a full enriched life experience and like yeah. understanding who you are as a person. And I Again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just finished that book by by Gato. And that became very relevant for me and very poignant for me. The public schools teach you how to be a drone in a work economy. The homeschool yeah. teaches you how to become yourself, how to love yourself, how to see how the world operates in a myriad of ways and how you can contribute in so many different aspects. And so, Absolutely. Well, you can go real deep into kind of the history and the kind of indoctrination of the public school and that it actually was designed to, to create workers. That was its full purpose is they wanted a working class. And so, you know, we don't have to go to conspiracy theory or whatever, <laughs> sure. but I mean, it, but it is true. It's not designed for people to follow their individual path and find their purpose. It's just kind of to make workers. So, right. Yeah, I guess we're, because I want to get into your story, we're all point listeners. If they want to dig into that more, I highly recommend reading John Taylor Gatto's Dumbing Us Down, and then also do some research on Horace Mann and the Prussian education model. Our modern mass education public school system basically is a derivative of those philosophies. And so I think it just informs your understanding of the public model. So let's back up a little bit. Tell listeners, tell us about your homeschooling. What were you doing in those early years? What was the balance between academics and just being outside and playing? What was that family life like? Well, the thing is what most homeschoolers, I think, would, at least in my opinion, if you're doing it right, what most people would agree is happening is that there is this kind of seamless blend between real life and then just your traditional academics. And so we did have our time where we were sitting at the table and we were doing our studies, but nothing seemed to exist in a time frame. It was just that there were things that needed to be learned and that you learned them on your own time. And it wasn't uncommon to blow through a few lessons so that you could go build a fort outside or something for the next day or so. And so it was very nonlinear. It was very just life. It was just life in general. And there were things that you had to learn, but at the same time, you were just learning life. And one of the things that I think was really great about, well, really just about homeschooling in general, but specifically for my education was that when there was a specific interest that a child seemed to have an affinity towards, there was freedom to pursue that, even if it meant diverging from the traditional lessons. And that was what I had the opportunity to do when I started showing interest in art. I think, I honestly think that I could remember having an interest in art when I was as young as maybe eight or nine. And it's very funny when people ask you like, 
oh, how long have you been doing art? It's like, well, I think I picked up a crayon when I was like two years old. So like, how do you actually know? But as far as when you were like, oh, I think I want this to be a part of my life. That was probably around eight or nine. And then when I was around maybe 12 years old, I remember this was like a defining moment in what would later become my art career. My dad noticed that I was showing an interest in art. And so what he did was he rattled off an email to, to Disney, to the animation department. And he said that I have, my son is very interested in art. And I was wondering if you could give him any tips on what he would have to do to maybe come work for you guys one day, because I had expressed that I was interested in maybe working for Disney. And so what happened was that the head of the animation department sent me this care package of all these like free art supplies and all these cool like prints of different sketches and drawings that he had done. And there was this handwritten letter of encouragement giving me like information and details on what I should do to pursue a job at Disney or even just a job in art in general. And I remember that I really owe my dad for doing that for me because I remember that it was like the first time that someone took an interest in my art. And it was the first time that I realized that I could make this my life or that I could make a career out of this. So that was a defining moment for me. And then as the years went on, I pursued that. I would enter animation contests online. And I remember I, I won an animation contest for $1,500. And then I used that money to buy a new no computer. Kidding. Yeah, it was, a, wow. it was amazing. That's it's huge like, at that yeah. age. That feels so oh, good. It was like the first time that I had made money from my art. And I was yeah. so amazed. And then I won a few other competitions. And I got a job to do the animations for an online game. It's just a simple little online game. But, but yeah, I was like in my early teens... And I was making money off my art. And I don't know if I would have had that opportunity if I was just in that structured public school environment. And so I was really lucky. Something I run across a lot in the show is, well, I'll explore with guests, oh, what, what could have happened? What would have been different? And what's unfortunate is we just will never know. But what we do know for sure is the homeschooling model allowed that part of you to really expand and find a practical application in air quotes, I'm not even sure what I mean when I say this, the real world, yeah. but just like the simplicity of, I have a talent, I have an interest, I have something I love and it has a place in the world and it makes sense. And you got to see that early on. That's really cool that that Disney animator wrote you back. Oh, it was amazing. I was like, what do you care about this little kid? But no, it's so true. What you said it's almost like there's no guarantee it's going to happen, but if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen within the homeschool environment, or at least it has a better chance. Right. Absolutely. So it sounds like those were really formative years. You really leaned into your artistry and kind of that creative side of you. I don't know. I felt this sometimes growing up. I grew up in a neighborhood. It was very like, well, let me back up. I moved once growing up and the first neighborhood I lived in was very residential suburbia. And then we moved pretty rural and we got some acreage. And so that was a different experience. But when I was around a lot of those other kids and I knew I was not there, I knew they were going somewhere every day and, and I just wasn't. Did you have experiences like that? Did you feel kind of like, oh, we're doing something that's not done a lot? Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's like an important point to consider because I'm not the type of person that will say that social aspect and that social concern doesn't exist. It's just that I think that there are plenty of solutions for it. And so if you were to ask my brother, if he felt that he didn't get enough socialization during his homeschool experience, he would have said absolutely not because my brother was very extroverted and he sought out 
those social situations. As an artist, I don't know if I'm the best example of a thriving social life as a kid, because I would choose to lock myself in my room and, <laughs> you know, and work on these drawings and these animations. But at the same time, when I was working with my family's company, I was on a daily basis working with people much older than me. And so I... I developed a matured at a much earlier age than most of my friends. And I was negotiating business deals as I was entering my 20s. I was having these important business conversations and I was a part of business meetings with my dad. And so the, the funny thing is, is that we worry about kids not being socialized. But anytime I would tell my friends that I was homeschooled, they were shocked by it. They're like, but you know how to talk, you know, you're like, you don't seem like it. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to seem like? This is just how I am, you know? Yeah. Doesn't it feel good? I love oh, yeah. those moments. I just I feel love those so shock like... moments. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're really fun. It sounds like from what I'm hearing you say, and I repeated this so often, every child is different. Every student is different. So your social needs were not as great as your younger brothers. And your younger brother was able to meet those needs in his own way. Especially now, I think if we enter the mindset that the only way to have healthy socialization as a kid is in the public schools, that's very single-minded. It's very one-track. It lacks creativity, in my opinion. There are co-ops. There are meetups. There are sports. I played a lot of sports growing up, and that's a big way we interacted. I came from a religious family, and so church was a big place where I got socialization. Could I have done with more, me, myself? I think, yes, I was pretty shy. I needed to be challenged socially. I needed more experiences that way. But at the end of the day, it worked out. And there's plenty of kids who go through the system all the way through and struggle socially. And so it's just not, I guess what I'm saying is I want to encourage listeners to think creatively about the socialization aspect because it's just not what you think. Public school does not satisfy that like we think it does. Well, and that's actually a really good point because the thing is, is that's why I don't say you don't have to worry about the social issue when you're homeschooling because it is something you might have to try a little bit harder to find those social situations. But what I think it comes down to is not necessarily the frequency of the socialization, but the quality of the socialization. Mm. And the fact of the matter is when you're, when you're leaving your kids in the public school system, you have no control over the quality of that socialization. Is it, is it an edifying experience for them? Or are they just, are you just throwing like this ADHD kid into this scenario where he can't sit still and he's just tormenting his classmates and all the kid wants to do is go, I don't know, build a fort or start a garden. And so, yeah, I think that you need to pay attention to the quality of the socialization and reframe the way that you think about how you socialize. I think that's so well said. I could not agree more. A quick word from our sponsor, Audible. If you're like me, you love reading, but there just isn't enough time. Right now, I'm listening to Spin Selling by Neil Rackham on Audible. It's a great way for me to gain skills and learn more about the world without having to sit down. For a free 30-day trial of Audible offered exclusively through the Homeschool Dropout, go to audibletrial.com forward slash the homeschool dropout. That's audibletrial.com forward slash the homeschool dropout. So let's pivot now to, I want to focus in on that moment where your family was involved in that 2008 financial crisis. How did that affect your homeschooling? Was it a conscious choice to say, all right, we need all hands on board. We're going to work on the family business. What was that dynamic like? And how did you experience that as a teenager? So it was around when I was about 14, I think is when it all came crashing down. And I remember that my dad came to me and he knew that I was not 
really interested in schooling in the traditional sense. And so he asked me if I wanted to continue doing the schooling as we had been doing it, or if I wanted to start working for the family company. And if I think back on it, it was probably a big decision to ask a kid to make of that age, because there are definitely times where I considered how things would have been different if I would have continued with my schooling and then at age 17 or 18 gone to an art school and how would that have how would that have affected how things are now but there's no way of telling because kind of like I mentioned before the business skills that I learned and the communicational skills that I learned working with my family I mean there's no way to measure that so what ended up happening was that around 14 is that I did start working full time with my family and my dad was very he was very clever in the way that he wanted to support our interests but he also wanted it to be done in a way that supported the family's interests and so as I was working for the family company as I mentioned we had a health food company and then later we had a, a hemp CBD company where we did like tinctures and salves and oh, little, nice. yeah, CBD gummies and stuff like that. So what happened was that my dad, instead of throwing me into the work or giving me free leave to go and do my own thing, he basically just encouraged me to handle all of our graphic design. And so for about three or four years, my main job was handling all of the graphic design and the package design and the logos and the website for the company. And so I was basically their graphic design and marketing manager. And I want to say that the skills that I learned during that time are really what gave me the ability to eventually go off and pursue being a full-time artist. Because the one thing that most artists coming out of art school will tell you is that they were not taught anything about the business side of art. It's an art school. They're teaching you about just different artistic methods and, and different painting, whatever, graphic design, depending on the type of a school that you go to. So they come out really unprepared to, to be self-employed. And that was the part that I had already had so much experience in. It's the part that most frequently gets ignored. So in a way, I think I was really lucky that that ended up being the path that my career took. Very unique. I love that your dad gave you that opportunity to apply your interests and your skill set to the family business. Your learning became very meaningful and there were real problems to solve. <laughs> I just thought of, I don't know if you've seen these on like Instagram or anything, but you know, those classic math problems where it's like, James goes to the market and buys 8,000 watermelons. And then yeah. <laughs> I've seen memes on like Instagram or whatever, where people have these carts full like bursting with one single item. And it's like the math problems you learned growing up where it's yeah. like, yeah, I'm like, I know how to push these numbers around, but your problems were, were real problems. We need this solved and we need your talent. We need your artistry. We need these real world problems solved. And to me, that's the difference between schooling and education. Education responds to the world and schooling just makes you respond to itself. This is what we want you to do. And you respond to that. But in the real world, a question is asked and there's a real problem that needs a real human to solve it. And you got to do that early on with your art. And now you can apply it in your, in your full-time art business. Yeah. There's real consequences and real benefits yes. to the yes. work. And so there's a real connection to the work. Uh-huh. Sorry, you're bringing back so many memories. I remember in my undergraduate, I studied chemical engineering and I struggled on one test. I did really poorly on a midterm and I went in and talked to a professor. And this is honestly a nod to that professor. I was kind of talking about, well, this was my process. This is what I was thinking. 
I just feel like <laughs> I learned to lobby for points. I learned that that's something you could do. And so I was like, I don't know. I understand. I just like goofed up on the test. What can we do here? And he looked at me and he said, I will meet you on this because you are like explaining your process. But he was like, in the real world, you don't get half credit. You don't get partial points. You either got it, like you knew it or you don't. And there's a consequence that follows. If you as the engineer messed up, you don't get to be like, oh, well, I partially calculated the flow rate correctly. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to be excellent. And now so, the Hoover Dam is flooding a city. Right, and right. It's on you. No. <laughs> right. But I still want half of my salary. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. And so, yeah, so that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's homeschooling all the way is it's, it's always real world consequences and real world benefits. Yes. Yes. There is a consequence to your thought process, to your action, to your decision. And it matters. It's not just a hand wavy. You didn't get a good test score. These things matter and they impact people. So I really like that about the homeschooling. And so you got that. Let's move forward now. You took that art experience as a homeschooler. And I think just last year, you decided to go full-time, work on your art, trying to develop your own career and life course as an artist. How was that decision-making to go full-time and how's it going? So there, there came a time where I had been working for the family company for almost a decade, if you consider when I actually started there as a young teenager. I'm 26 years old now, so I, was, I started working with the family around 14 or 15. And there came a time in my early 20s where I was really feeling like I love working with my family, but you know, my heart was kind of saying, an artist is what I've always wanted to be. This was always what I wanted to be. And I feel my happiest when I'm creating something. And I remember having this conversation with my mother just a few months before I left the family business. And she asked me if I could do anything in the world, what would I do? Because I had expressed to her that I, I think I wanted to leave the family business. And I said that I'm my most happiest when I'm creating something that I can share with the world. And I want to make people feel something. I want there to be an emotional reaction to the things that I'm doing. And she was supportive of it. And so I kind of you know, everything we did as a family was a decision as a family. And so my brother and I had been having conversations with them and we were basically like, okay, let's start phasing out. And so I gave myself basically the summer, basically three months to become a full-time artist. What I ended up doing was I took a part-time job as a bartender at a local restaurant. While I was bartending, I would, on the side, I would be working on my art career and I started out, believe it or not, doing window paintings. The thing was, is I had this business experience from working with the family company. And so I knew that I couldn't just do what I wanted to do. Like <laughs> I, at, at that point, I was like, as long as I'm working somewhere in the art field, I'll be happy. And so I went for the area of art that I thought there was demand for. So I took a commercial route on advertising for local businesses and helping to spruce up their shops and make them look nice. And I started doing those on the side while I was doing the bartending. And then when we came into fall, we basically entered the holiday season when window art was, that's when people wanted it. And so I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to do this. I think I'm ready to go full time. And so I finished at the bartending job. It was a seasonal summer job and I finished there. And then I just started doing window art full time. And I am going to tell you right now, that's not necessarily the route that I would recommend for 
people. It was a leap of faith. And really what I would recommend for people is to just build that art career up on the side until they're ready to do it full time and they can see that financially it makes sense. Because for me, I was in the beginning, I was just paying my bills. I was not getting rich. I still don't have a Ferrari. <laughs> but for me, that was what I wanted to do. And so it comes down to how you measure success because I was making a living doing the thing that I love doing and I was happy. And so that's how I measured success. And it just continued from there. As the holidays came around, I got to do more of what I wanted to do, which is I'm primarily a portrait artist. And so I got to do commissioned paintings for people. And I would do commissioned portraits of people's families. One of my favorite things to do is to do commissioned portraits of family members who have passed on. And oftentimes what you will have is maybe a granddaughter never got to meet her great grandmother. And so you do this portrait of them together in a photo that never could have happened. And it is very special for the family. Yeah. So I got to do more of that. And I just, you know, I, I have no rules on, on the type of art jobs that I will take on for me, as long as it's a creative endeavor, I'm happy with it. And so I do all sorts of jobs. I do, I do murals. I do the window art. I do live portrait, charcoal portraits for different events. And uh, yeah, basically anything that comes my way. <laughs> so many things that I want to touch on that you yeah. brought up. I really like everything that you shared. The first thing I'll say is I chuckled because my baby sister, she's a very talented artist. I have some of her work in my house. I just think it's beautiful. And also, it's special when you know the artist and like I, I point to like, oh, my sister did this. She's talked to me about how she didn't want to do graphic design because she didn't want to have to like work for a boss and just do what they wanted. And eventually I was like, look, at some point you are always responding to someone else's need and someone else's value. And so you don't always get to choose like what exactly you do. So in your case, you wanted to do art, but you saw that the commercial demand at that time was window art. So you went for it. And I just like that you had that business acumen to understand what the market actually wanted in order to start developing your own place within that. I think going back to your original point, Many artists coming out of art school and have these like elite degrees are a little bit disconnected from that practicality that you don't get to decide what people value in art. And at some point, you just have to respond to their values and what they think they want. Well, the thing is that I knew at some point, the goal when I started was that obviously I have to make a living. And I knew that if I worked long enough, and I got enough of a following and a popularity in the art scene that I would eventually get to do the things that I was passionate about. And what's funny is that I completely relate with your sister because for, for those three to four years that I was doing the graphic design for my family's company, I was taking some online courses and I was really studying graphic design. And the thing about graphic design is, and some people are better suited for this, but the thing about graphic design is that its main goal is to influence a purchase or to influence. It's about getting someone's business. So there's things about color theory on how you manipulate someone through color psychology. If you notice a lot of fast food restaurants use the colors red and yellow, and that's because these are colors that, that stimulate appetite, believe it or not. If you go to look at all your bank logos, most of them are shades of blue. And that's because blue is a color that instills trust in a person. And it was all very interesting, but it all came down to we're using our artistic skills to encourage somebody's business. And it just wasn't interesting for me. I wanted to use my artistic skills to 
invoke an emotion in someone or just to make them happy, to give them something special that they can cherish forever. You have a very different objective. I've seen some of your portrait work on your website and then on your Instagram page. And it's gorgeous. I think you capture emotion really well. I just love that you're doing this for someone, but you are also benefiting from it. You are also experiencing that emotion and creating the art for these clients of yours. That is really special. And I think I'm going to tie this back to homeschooling. When a human, an individual is freed to explore their own interests and understand what makes them feel fulfilled and feel purposeful, that's successful in my eyes. And you can do that. Like I, I didn't choose art. I chose engineering. And when I'm doing the engineering that really makes my brain tick, it feels really good. And I love solving those problems. And so I think that's something homeschooling can do is it liberates you to understand yourself and to really know what makes you get the most out of life. And I think that's what education should do. What out there makes you feel most human and most alive? Go do that and you'll be fine. It's kind of like if you start with the presupposition that we all have a goal or a purpose or a desire in life, then you want to cultivate that. And I was very lucky that my upbringing allowed me to do that. When I think about the enjoyment that I get out of art and specifically portrait art, when you draw a person or when you paint them, you feel like you know them on an emotional level, even if you've never met them before. And that's one of the reasons that I love portraiture so much. And when I think about how, just how it fills me up to get to do this, and then to think that there are kids out there who are just kind of being run through the meat grinder, like becoming whatever the public school system is telling them they should be. And I have friends who are like that. And it's just so sad to me because we all have a unique purpose to fulfill in this world. And there's just nothing sadder to think that someone might not be able to do that. And I think that homeschooling is just the best path forward to achieve that. I am eating up everything that you're saying. It makes so much <laughs> sense to me. And, and I think there's, as you said, a lot to be said for goal orientation. If you have an idea of where you want to go, then just the journey of getting there is so fulfilling. And then when you're there, I think it's really enriching when it was self-defined and intrinsically driven. That's a really special experience. And I had a passing thought too. I just feel like homeschooling does not describe the experience very well. To me, when people say homeschooling, it's like, oh, you're just not in public school. But for me, it was like, no, we are out there and we are, I don't know, we're just, we're not in these boxes every single day for eight hours. That's the only thing that unifies us. The homeschooling experience is very, very diverse and very varied without being too redundant. You and I had different experiences and I didn't grow up with Montessori. I actually learned about Montessori four months ago. But whatever the curriculum was, being freed from the rigor and the demands of the external system, I think benefited both of us. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that with a name like homeschooling, I feel like I didn't spend very much time at home or at least that's not where where my education took. Well, why don't we open this up for some advice? I know I have a lot of young artists that are listeners and a lot of new homeschooling families. So twofold question, what advice would you give to new homeschooling families, those who are just getting started? And then what advice do you have to young aspiring artists out there? So for anybody who who is kind of considering homeschooling or is maybe already doing it, I really feel like who we need to talk to is the people who are apprehensive towards it. And what I want to say about it is that with every important decision that we make, there is going to be an easy 
and a difficult route. And sometimes you look out and the easy route is the right decision, but you need to be aware that public schooling is the easy route. And there's a temptation to take that path just because it's easy. You drop the kids off at eight o'clock or maybe even the bus picks them up and then they come home at three. You don't even have to think about it. So I won't deny that's the easy route, but just ask yourself if it's the best decision for your family. And I think that in most scenarios, homeschooling is almost always going to be superior just for all the reasons that we've talked about. Just be open to that and also be ready to make mistakes. I know that's like a really general statement, but the thing is, one of my favorite quotes is that like when you're growing up, you don't realize that your parents are growing up too and everyone's fine and it all works out. And so just know that, gosh, I don't know. I mean, just homeschooling in general seems like it's already going to be the better decision. Even if you're not the perfect Montessori teacher, it's going to be better for your kids. It's going to work out. That's all That's all I'm going to say. It's going to work out. Just do it. All right. So I love, <laughs> it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And then as far as pursuing art in general, there is a big question in the art community of whether you need to go to art school or whether you just need to self-educate. And so I'm going to, obviously I was self-educated so I'm going to try and come off as, as unbiased as possible, but <laughs> I did enjoy being self-educated. It gave me a lot more freedom. But the one thing that seems to be consistent is that it's not a determiner for success, whether you went to art school or not, because there is so much more involved with becoming a successful artist. And the business side of it is almost as big as the skills and the talent side of it. So I will say that if you're going to take the self-educated route, you need to be intentional about educating yourself. And I always say the best advertisement for your work is the work itself. And that has proven to be true in my experience. Most of my art jobs have come from someone being so pleased with the work that they had to share it with others. And almost my entire art business has been developed through word of mouth. And so get your work to, to a level that you feel justified in charging for it. That's the advice that I usually give to people. Get it to a point where you're like, you know what? People should be paying me for this. And then they will. And yeah. so then you'll be good. And yeah, that's really just it. Get your work to a quality that you're happy with. Be intentional about your education. If you need to pay for, for different courses or workshops, I definitely do that. My education was, was all over the place. I have a whole shelf of art books. I have online classes that I've paid for and I've on different on-site workshops and things like that. And then obviously YouTube Academy we talked about. There's a lot of free information out there. Really the advice for art in general is the same advice for homeschooling. It's like there's never been a time in our lives that information was so easily accessible. And so just wrap your mind around that, about how there is so much free information out there. You can do it. You can do it. And I think that's why traditional education is becoming more and more obsolete. Well, I love it. Build your art, build your business. You need both skill sets in order to make your way as an artist. That's what I hear you saying. So why don't we do this? I want to point listeners to all of your different media. So if you're a listener and you're a young artist, or even if you're an adult and you want to get better art and see some of Elijah's work, Elijah, what's your Instagram? I think you have Instagram, a website, and a YouTube. So why don't you fill the listeners in on how they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my main my main social media is my Instagram as an artist. So that's the most visual platform. So it's, it's the best place for it. And so the Instagram is Elijah Doyle art and it's underscore in between each word, Elijah underscore Doyle underscore art. And then I also have the website, ElijahDoyleArt.com and then the YouTube channel, Elijah Doyle art. And if you go to my Instagram, all of that stuff is in the bio. And so you can find it there. Okay, perfect. I will link to all of those in my show notes page. 
listeners, you can go either to my website or you can go to the bottom of the episode and you'll see all of this linked within your podcasting app. And I have to say, Elijah, as someone who has worked to streamline and standardize all of my, I guess, media, it's hard to get a domain name, an Instagram, a YouTube channel, all with the same name. But you did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it good helped, for you. It helps to have a unique name, you know? True. I mean, true. Unless, unless you're in Ireland, there's not many Doyles around. You. Okay. Okay. Whenever I see that so clean, it's like very crisp. I just, it's like hats off to you. Okay. Well, great. Listeners, please go check out Elijah's work. I myself have seen it. The portraits are gorgeous. If you need anything commissioned, I think Elijah would be a great artist to go to and you can support a fellow homeschooler. And so I would definitely encourage listeners to go there. Elijah, Really appreciate your time. And honestly, we're not that far away in age. I'm 29. And so we're in very similar places in life. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't get out of the 90s until like 2000. So, you know, we probably had a very similar upbringing, you know? <laughs> did you have yeah. a DigiPet? Did you have one of those? <laughs> oh my I swear gosh, that's DigiPet. Yeah. That's like the root of all my anxiety. Oh my God. I think it all comes down to the trauma of trying to keep that thing alive. Keep the DigiPet alive. Yeah. That, what a what a throwback. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, we'll have to get into our 90s nostalgia because I got plenty. I got plenty of nostalgia there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks, Elijah. Appreciate you coming on and hope you have a really good day. Of course. Thank you, man. Take care. Hey, listeners. If you enjoy the Homeschool Dropout, the best way to support the show and increase its value to you and other homeschoolers is to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So head there now and we'll see you next week.